Good to see you all here this morning as we continue in our summer months with people going, coming and going. It's good to have you folks here, here today. Well, if you were up on Facebook, how many were up on Facebook and saw a little post I put up there? Appreciate both of you. <laughs> if you went up on there, you got a little idea of what was, what was going on. But of course, if you were here last week, you got an idea. We only got about, what, a third of the way through what we were going to do last, last time? Uh, we got stuck on Abraham, and uh, that's my fault, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It might have been your fault. You guys were just pulling on stuff. I'm not sure what it is. I, I think I might go with, with that one. But we didn't cover this, this part of it here yet, and we wanted to get in this. This is the question we put up there on Facebook for you. How many times have you acted in a certain way towards people, towards other people, and expected that they would also act that way to you? You know, sowing and reaping? What it is that you sow, you will what? reap. And so we begin to, to think, if I have sown mercy, how many of you expect to receive mercy? Nobody. I'm in the wrong crowd. Oh, there we go. Okay. If you sow money, how many of you expect to receive money? All right. We've got more on that one. Wow. It works for mercy too. <laughs> if you sow forgiveness, how many of you expect to receive forgiveness? If you sow putting joy in other people, how many of you expect to receive joy from other people? Yeah, we kind of expect that. But how many of you know that when you have been out there and you have sown forgiveness and you have sown mercy and you have sown all these good things and then when it came time in your life and you needed it and you were turned down, how many can say that it's happened to you? Yeah. So why is it that if we're supposed to sow first and then reap, why is it that we have sown but do not always reap? Wouldn't you like to know the answer to that? Wouldn't you like to know why is it that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't? Last time we started a service all talking about how everybody likes to fix things. Remember how that is? You kick it. <laughs> right? You got a lawnmower that's not working, won't start up. What do you do? Kick you kick it. You got a blender that's not working. What do you do? Hit it. You hit it. <laughs> that's just universal. That's what we do. Why? Is it in the manual? No. But every once in a while, it works. <laughs> so we keep doing it. Instead of doing the things that the manual says, this is what will fix your, your uh, whatever it is that you got. We don't always want to do it that way. And we do it this way too because we don't exactly know what the Word of God is teaching us. You see, whatever the Word of God teaches you, folks, is consistent. It works as expected if we understand it right. Problem is, we haven't always understood things right, and we've gone out with that bit of knowledge and that bit of understanding, and it hasn't quite worked, worked out so well. I put up on, on Facebook a quote I had seen, and if you were on my Facebook page, you saw this this week, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, but I'm going to get the gist of it. That in order to be absolutely certain on anything, you must know everything or nothing. Now you think about that for a little bit. That's about it, isn't it? The only way you become absolutely sure is if you know everything there is to know about that or if you don't know anything at all. How many of you know some people who are absolutely sure that something is true and know absolutely nothing about it? <laughs> yeah. I pondered on that quote. I forgot who it was. made by somebody. I don't even know who they are. But I put it up there who it was who, who had said it. All you folks don't get on Facebook throughout the week. We try and put things up there to help you out. Won't help you if you don't get on it. Amen. Well, there are two, two passages in the Scriptures talked about uh, binding and loosing. Matthew chapter 16 talks about binding and loosing, and Matthew chapter 18 talks about binding and loosing. Since they are in the same gospel, what this tells us beyond the shadow of a doubt is that Jesus taught this principle at least twice. He may have taught it more than that because not everything that Jesus did is, in the, is written in the Bible. But we know for certain that he taught it at least twice. In the Matthew 16 and the Matthew 18, we have a different context surrounding each one. But when we see that, that taught, the principle that has come out in the body of Christ that people are doing, how many of you heard, now don't raise your hand that you've done this, this is your inside hand. How many of you have ever seen people do this or learned to do it yourself? I bind this in the name of Jesus. 
I loose this in the name of Jesus. And we come out with that principle, even though the Bible doesn't teach it. The Bible does not teach, I bind and I loose. What Jesus says is, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound where? In heaven. I tell you, short, short statement. It is so much involved in what Jesus says. And we're going to get a little bit more into what he says to unlock some of those things we talked about here at the beginning. Whatever it is that you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And we looked at the context of both of those things. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? Well, some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. And they went over the list. And he said, But who do you say that I am? And they said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter stood up and said that. And that's when he went on and said, You are Peter, and upon this rock. And in the Greek it reads this way. You are Petros. And upon the, or I'm sorry, Petra, and on this Petros, I will build my church. Kind of a fun little play on words right there. But it doesn't quite carry over in the, in the English. But the, you get the idea. It's, it's not building on Peter. It's building on what Peter said. On this, this that, that you have done. And so then he went and began, and he taught this. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And immediately after that, the scripture says that Jesus from that day forward began to teach his disciples about his death, resurrection, the suffering, all the things he would go through. What happened when Peter said that? He loosed into their lives, because they all believed it and they all said it, they loosed for themselves into their life the teaching that Jesus had for them on this topic. From that day forward, what happened on that day? Something got loosed. Up until then, it was bound. But when his Father in heaven revealed this to him, and he says, he even said this, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And from that day forward, he began to teach on this because they loosed this, the, Jesus' ability, loosed his ability to be able to teach this to them. In Matthew chapter 18, he gave the teaching again. Whatsoever on earth you bind shall be bound in heaven. And immediately after he taught that, he gave them the parable. The parable that said that a man came to a rich man and who owed him a great sum of money, millions of dollars. And he said, be patient with me and I will pay you all. And the man, the, 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 the ruler, uh, forgave him the debt. It said, actually, he used two words, released and forgave. And so he went off from there and found someone who owed him less money, just about a day's wage, and said, pay me what you owe. And he said, same exact words, be patient with me, I will pay you all. But he wasn't, and he threw him in jail. And when word of what he had done had come to the, the ruler, he called him back in. And he says, what is this that I hear you've done? Since I showed you such great mercy, or since I forgave you such a great debt, could you not also do the same? And so he took him and said, now you're, it's going to be required of you too. So what happened was, there was forgiveness, there was a release that was uh, uh, released in his life. And because he refused to release that to others, it became bound up in his life. It is not what you say I bind, what you say I loose, it's what actions you do. That's what causes it to be bound up. Now last week we looked at Abraham. And we saw that with Abraham... Abraham, was, it was God's desire that he have a baby with Sarah, his wife. It was Abraham's desire. It was Sarah's desire. Everybody wanted it to happen, but it wasn't happening. Because this is the kind of conversations that we want. If you weren't here last time, it's up on the internet. Get it for free. Just go up there and download it. Check it out. Do whatever you want to. It's, it's right there for you. But we're not going to get into all the details we did before. But what we saw was this, that Abraham... And we proved this to you. I'm not going to try and prove it again to you. We proved this to you last time. Abraham, in his conversations with those closest to him, his family, was, having talk, was talking like this. Do you think this is ever going to happen? I don't think we're ever going to have a kid. I know what God said. I know God said that we would be fruitful. I know that God said that we would have a, a, a child. I know that God said that many nations would come from But I don't see it happening. And Sarah would come back and say, I don't see it happening either. I mean, I'm just getting older. Uh, we're doing everything we know to do, but it's just not changing. And they would have these conversations to the point that eventually Abraham got to the spot where he would have this conversation with God. And when God came to him and appeared to him and said, 
all the good things. Abraham said, what are you going to give me? I don't have a kid yet. And then later on, when he was still wasn't there, and God says, you're going to have a child, he laughed. He said, it's not going to really happen to me and to Sarah, who's old. How does this happen? Because this is the conversation that you're having. You want it to happen, but you don't think it's going to. And so you have this conversation. We have these conversations, conversations with each other about our sicknesses and diseases, about our aches and our pains, about our failures, about what the Word has or hasn't done for us, about other people, about our jobs. We have these conversations about all these different things, and what we are doing is we are binding up things in heaven that God wants to release. We have bound them up. And God wants to send them to us, but He cannot do it. And we saw last week, we spent time on this, we showed you Abraham, God changed that conversation. And we showed you how he did it. And he changed that conversation. And within months of changing that conversation, Abraham and Sarah were pregnant with a baby. 25 years waiting, and within months, it got changed. And we showed you what we needed to do. But now we want to take a look at the other part of that, and this is the life of David. We are going to run through some parts of David. I'm going to tell you some parts of David because we have covered David in the past. We have looked at things going on with David in the past. So some of these parts we're just going to refer to you, but there are some parts I want you to see because this principle of binding and loosing that Jesus teaches in the New Testament is practiced in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. It is practiced in almost every single Bible character that you can find. From binding to loosing. We're going to look at what David did here right now. Now David, remember his qualifications for king? Saul's qualifications were he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was a great warrior. And when he came on the scene, he immediately led Israel to to victory. And he was just a tall guy. He stood head and shoulders above everybody else. Have you ever had anybody like that who's in a group? They just stand head and shoulders above everybody else? You know, we got a guy like that in our run group that we uh, do on Tuesday nights. Our run group, I mean, it's like this. His name is John. He is, he is tall. You'd think he'd be a basketball player. He's not. He's a runner. <laughs> he's a good one, too. He just, you just look up and he's just tall. When you, you can tell right off the bat if John is present. Because all you have to do is look around the room, and if you see a towering figure in the room, John's here. We go over and have a conversation. I found out a few weeks ago of, of all the things John and I were talking one time. And we have the, or he used to, have the same hobby. We like to keep reef tanks. And so we, were, we one time got off and talked about some of those sort of things. Didn't know that about him, but found out about it, about it then. Now the appearance of David, and I gave you the scripture for it. I'm not going to read over it. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the appearance of David was so meager that his, his parents didn't bring him in for this. The, the prophet comes to anoint one of Jesse's sons. They bring seven of them there. They don't bring the eighth. Ah, he's just... And we've spent time on this before. His parents did not think a whole lot of David. They did not think a whole lot of David. They did not believe his story of killing a lion. They did not believe his story of killing a bear. They did not believe it. I can prove it to you, even though it's not in the Bible. I can prove it to you. If you have a son who has killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands, and a prophet is coming to anoint one of your sons king, do you leave him out with the sheep? You don't do it. If you have a son who killed with his bare hands a lion and showed you the corpse, killed with his bare hands a bear and showed you the corpse, would you do You wouldn't do it. You would bring him out. There's a reason why they left him where he was. They did not believe the story. And you can see the disdain that was in the parents reflected in his brothers in the way that they related to him and talked with him. Not spending time on all that, but this is the kind of atmosphere that he grew up in. If you grew up in an atmosphere where your parents did not believe in you and you think that's the reason, the thing that's holding you back, that is false because David's sort of ahead of everyone in the class and yet his parents didn't think a whole lot of him. Even after he is anointed king of Israel, what do his parents do with him? Put him right back with the sheep. Right back with the sheep. Can you imagine that? The prophet of God, the prophet in the land, came over, anointed your son to be next king of Israel, and you get back in there with the sheep, will you? You spent a whole lot of time on that. We're not going to. His appearance and experience did not give one the impression of a great warrior. 
It didn't do that. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, what does Saul say when he hears David talking? Yeah, bring him in here. Let's, let's take a look at this guy. And David comes in, and David is, is there. He goes, well, this isn't going to work out so well. He says, Goliath has been a warrior from his youth, and you're just a kid. You're just a kid. What's Goliath's, Goliath's opinion of David when he comes out in the battlefield? Have they sent out a child with a stick? He said, Have you, do you look at me as a dog? Is that what you're doing? Child on the stick? Is that what you see me as? He was offended because of the character, the, the appearance of David, whom they sent out to kill him. But here's, a, here's just a side note. This is not in your outline. This is just sort of a side note. Remember when we talked about conversation, how you're, how you're talking about things. It changes what you're doing. How did, how did Israel talk about Goliath? Oh, no. Goliath is out here. Oh, no. When Goliath appeared and gave his call, send somebody, what did they all do? Ran and hid. They hid away. They weren't talking about things. When David came on the scene, he was taken with one, one particular thing. What will be done? What will be done for the man who kills this giant? What will be done? And they say, well, you're going to get this, 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 and this. Oh, this is good. And he went up to somebody else. What will be done? And his opinion with the giant was this. He says, why are you all afraid? This man is history. He has cursed God. He's done. All you got to do is go out there and clean up the mess. That's all. No one else was talking like this. This is how, his conversa- how different his conversation was. He is before Saul, king, who is taller than anyone. Big warrior. Big fighter. Brought Israel to all kinds of victories. And he looks at him and says, Man, you're just a kid. You're just a kid. But he hears him talking. And he convinces Saul. You know what? Go ahead. Go ahead and fight for us. I'm going to put all... Israel's uh, fate into your hands. You go on out there and you fight them. Now that's some kind of conversation because this boy not only talked it, he believed it. He believed this man is dead. All I got to do out there is go out there and clean it up. This man is dead. So he gets ready to go on out. Now the only thing that's mentioned that set David apart was his behavior. I'm going to read some of these scriptures off for you. 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. A little bit further down in verse 14. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul... (laughs) This is always fun. When Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Verse 28. Then Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. But it always says this to David. He behaved wisely. Always says he behaved wisely. It's the only thing that you see that set him apart. He apparently wasn't very tall, wasn't very big. I think he eventually grew into something, but he wasn't at least at this point. Now you compare that to Saul. Saul at the sacrifice, he did his own thing. He didn't do what God said. Saul with King Agag did his own thing. Saul with, with uh, David is doing his own thing. I'd rather kill this guy than use him. With the priest, he comes into the priest that helped David and he slaughters them all. Now let's read some other stories of scriptures. This is some of his actions. In 1 Samuel 23. Now I want you to put yourself in this position. I want you to picture yourself doing something similar to what David has done. Because how many of you have ever helped someone who turned around and either refused to help you or worse? Anybody had that happen? All right. It's in the Bible. Let's look at this. 1 Samuel 23 verse 1. Then they told David saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kilah. Now, I, I looked up this town, and I got three different pronunciations for it. I got Kayla, Kyla, and Kila. I don't know if there's any other way to pronounce it. I think that's about it. I was trying to narrow it down. Which way is the right way? So I picked one of them. I picked Kyla. If you like a different one or you think a different one is more authentic, that's fine. I tried. <laughs> I'm not a Hebrew person. I'm a Greek person. I don't, I don't know the Hebrew stuff that well. But anyway, 
fighting against Kyla. And they are robbing the threshing floor. Now, here's the thing. You may not pick this up just from reading this chapter. The Philistines are coming against Kyla. The reason they're coming against Kyla is because Saul has the army chasing around Israel for David. He's not defending the cities. He's chasing after David. And in the chapter before this, he's over at, at uh, the, the city where David was, where he got the sword of Goliath. He's over at that city and he's slaughtering the priests because they helped David. So he's got the army killing Israelites, priests of all things, instead of defending this city. That's the kind of king he has become. So David hears that they're under attack. He knows Saul is over there. He just got the word that Saul is over in the city killing the priests that helped him. He's sad about that, but he realizes these folks over here, no one is coming to their defense. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kila. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kila against the armies of the Philistines? In other words, we're going to make a name for us. They're going to know where we are. Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kila, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kila and fought the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Kila. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Kila, that he went down with him, down with him an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Kila. So David said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. So then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Kila to besiege David and his men. So get the picture here. David has asked the Lord, shall I go down to this city and help them? He is not, David and his men are not being hurt by the Philistines or by what's going on in Kila. But he says to, to, to God, should I go down and help the Israelites that are there? Shall I go down and help this city? They're being attacked. And God says, go down, I'll deliver them into your hand. So he goes on down and he fights for this city. They put their lives at risk to save this city. Can you believe that? They just went down there just to help them out. Put their lives at risk. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kila to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kila deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Now, if you're wondering, we went over this before, when you have the ephod, the ephod was basically used for yes and no answers. So the answer was not, he will come down. The answer was, will he come down? The ephod said, yes. Will the people of, of Kyla deliver me into their hands? The ephod said, yes. I don't exactly know how they use the ephod. I've heard a few explanations on it. Nothing is real definite. But whatever, however they did it, whatever they did, they got a yes or a no answer out of the, the ephod. So they just came down, helped this city, saved this city, and... When Saul comes down and says, give us David or we're going to attack you, they said, we'll give you David. And the Lord said, they're going to do that. They're going to give you away. And so they decided to leave the city and they left the city and, and went on their own. Can you, can you say, I can identify with that. I've had people that I have helped out like that and they have betrayed me. The very people I helped have betrayed me, let alone receiving from somebody else. I would have just liked to have received the help that I gave to that person, just then turn around and just at least be nice. We've got people at work and we've helped them out of situations so that they would look good who've turned around and made us look bad. And that bothers us, doesn't it? And see, if we don't have the, the word down, the enemy can get into our minds and begin to say, see, this God stuff doesn't work. You help those people out and they turned around and if, if what the principles are in the word, if they were true, if they were true, it would have worked. Now, how many of you would have been cured from this point on of ever acting kind again? In fact, I, some of you have even said words like this. Well, that's it. I'm not being kind to anybody. 
I'm not helping anybody at work. I'm not doing that. You've actually said words like that because you got so tired of it. People that you were friendly to who turned around and became unfriendly. Well, that's it. I'm not being friends with people like that. I'm not going to be friends with anybody. I don't need any friends at all. I just need me. <laughs> and we go off and talk about some things like, yeah, we don't necessarily need to do that. This is in the Word of God. Now, we're going to get back to this. I want you to keep this in mind. Did God tell him to go down to the city and help it? Did God tell them they're going to betray you? Do, you? do you have anything from the context that says that God wanted them to betray him into Saul's hand? No, nah, nothing at all. Nothing at all. But they did it, didn't they? Now, David is seeking God out in every move before he makes it. Whenever he makes a move, he seeks God out. God, what should I do? That's part of his character. No matter what move he makes, shall I go down to the city? Shall I leave the city? Shall I go this place? Shall I not go this? He's always asking. Now later on here in 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26, we're going to find that he shows mercy to Saul. We're not going to read these scriptures over. You probably remember them. But one time they were hiding out in the cave because Saul came in the area where he was, hiding out in the cave, and Saul came in to, as the Word of God says, relieve himself. So he came in the cave and they cut off part of his robe. And then they showed it to him. Saul, cut your robe. And, and David felt bad for cutting off his robe. He didn't, he didn't hurt him. But the men around him were saying, run on through. In fact, let me do it. Let me do it. I'll run on through. I won't have to do it twice. One time's all I need. He will, he will be dead. He's ready to do it. And, and, and so David says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And then another time, they come in, and they're right there with Saul. Right there with Saul. And they took some of his stuff to show Saul. Saul, we got your stuff. We could have killed you. We didn't. And Saul says, oh, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. He said that the first time, said it the second time. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. But then he comes right back and comes after David again. So David eventually leaves the, leaves the area. Now, how many of you think that if you sowed mercy like that, you should receive mercy? Yeah, I think so. If I sowed mercy like that, I should receive some kind of mercy back. But David didn't receive mercy from whom he needed to receive it, which was all. Now, take a look at this. 1 Samuel 25. There's a lot of scripture, a lot of verses here, but I want you to see what happens here. This is just incredible what goes on. Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and his wife was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. And he was of the house of Caleb. This is one of those couples when you look at him and says, How did he ever get her? That's what you say. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him, Who lives in prosperity? Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us. And we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. And ask your young men, and they will tell you, therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, and we will come on a feast day. Please give whatever, whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal and, uh, according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Now apparently David is underselling what it is that they did. He's not telling all the things that, we, that have been going on. We're going to find out what really happened. But this is what they pass on to Nabal. So the, then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away from each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shivers and give it to the men whom I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back and they came and told him all these words. 
Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. Now you've got to get the picture of this. Because it, we, we read this here, and it, it's kind of lost to us. But I want you to picture a movie. Let's say a John Wayne movie. All right, John Wayne movie. And picture John Wayne sitting on a rock. He's playing one of the uh, a captain of, of a group of people, sitting on the rock. And people come to him, and they give him a bad report of what has happened. And just picture like this. John Wayne, slowly, he stands up from the rock, and he takes his hat, and he puts his hat on his head. And he rubs the rim of it like that. And he says, boys, get your guns. That's what it's like. That's what's going on right here. He said, men, get your swords. That's all he says. And they all get their swords and they're ready to ride. And they're going to go. That's all he says. That's all needs to be said. Get your swords. Is David expecting that the kindness that he demonstrated to Nabal and his servants would be reciprocated? Would come back from the very source to whom they gave it? He's expecting that. He's not getting it. But he's expecting it. Verse 14. Well, let's read this. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies because they learned not to leave the supplies by themselves. So 400 guys are going down. Now, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet, to greet our master. And he reviled them. But the men were very good to us. Now, look at what they actually did. And we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them. In other words, if we weren't accompanying them, there was stuff missing. People came and took stuff from them because they had so much, it was hard to guard it all. When we were in the fields, they were a wall to us both by night and day. 24 hours, his men watched over theirs. They were a wall to us both night and day. All the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that... One cannot speak to him. Have you met people like that? <laughs> Such a scoundrel. You just can't talk to him. That's what Nabal was. Now you can go on and read the rest of the story if you're interested. They're perked. Abigail's wise and she does things to uh, help out. She sends some stuff down there and, and uh, basically gives them what they wanted, what they asked for, and, and probably even more than that. And so David turns around with his men and they don't, they don't attack. But if they did, how many of you think that Nabal, he's done? It's, it's all over. Listen to what David did. We see all these, these times. He's showing mercy. I think he's expecting mercy would come. He's showing protection. He's showing, doing, doing some things to help. I think he's expecting that something would come from it. But it seems like every place that David goes, everything that he does, people aren't giving it back to him. He's defending people in Israel. They're not defending him. He's showing mercy. They're not showing mercy back. If he goes and he asks for a sword, the whole town almost gets wiped out. Saul comes in and wipes them out. This is just not going the way that it ought to be going. It ought to be, doing, it ought to be going different from this. Now, how many, if you were David and all this stuff happened to you, you're going to give up on these principles and just, well, forget that. This isn't working so well. I don't think we need to, to keep going on with this. few other things with David. As his became, kingdom became more prosperous, his, his desire was still on what he can do for God. He doesn't ever lose sight of that. God, what can I do for you? How can I be more of a worshiper? How can I build a house for you? He wants to build God a house. God wants to build him a house. Later on, David f- tries to find a way to honor his, his covenant with Jonathan. So he says, is there not yet a descendant of Jonathan? And they find Mephibosheth and they bring Mephibosheth and he honors him and he takes care of him. Later on, it seems that is, uh, ter- Mephibosheth turns his back on David after all this kindness. At least that's the story that he was given. And if you see all the times that David had had people let down, can you see how, why he quickly believed it without a whole lot of proof? 
Because this is what's been going on with, with David. So David practices mercy, patience, forgiveness, loyalty, faithfulness, generosity, and so much more. He practices this. He is so generous with the things of God. How much did he put aside for the house of God? How much did he do to, to uh, promote worship? The things that he started having people, just people worshiping God all day long. Just having people around there. Now, I think I ought to take these out of your outline. But if you look at the bad side, David with Bathsheba. When he's with Bathsheba and he, he goes there, he, he does some things contrary to his nature, to what he has been doing. And he shuts the door on some of the things for God. And the son that was born to him in Bathsheba, what happened? He died. Yeah. Remember what God said about all that? You have given opportunity for the Lord's enemies. David, what he did was he bound up the power of God for working in his life in that area and loosed what the enemy wanted to do. We can look at the other things too and see that as, as well. But hey, let's get back to our, our main thing here. Should I expect others to do for me the things that I have done? Should I expect other people to come back with the same things that I have done. Because here's what the verse has said. First says. Let's read it again. Oh, I didn't put it in there. I put it in here later on. Well, there it is. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound where? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed where? In heaven. So, this is the way most people read this verse. This is the way most people understand this verse. And why we come out with the wrong idea. Whatsoever things you bind on earth shall be bound on the earth. That's how we read it. That's how we practice it. But that's not what it says. It says, whatever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So when David practices mercy on earth, where does he loose mercy from? From heaven. Where do we expect it? On earth. But the verse says, in heaven. But we expect it on earth. I'll give you a, a, a reason why we probably expect it that way. In fact, it's the verse that's on your, Bible, on your uh, bulletin. On the front of your bulletin. Let's read this verse. I'm going to read it to you in a particular translation to start off with because this is the way most people have understood it. In the King James Version. How many like the King James? All right, you can still like it after this. <laughs> give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. All right, now who's doing the initial giving? You are. Who's doing the reciprocal giving? Men. Except this. The words. Look at the, look at the verse up there. Shall men give into your bosom. The words shall men is not in the translation. Now would you pull up for me our normal uh, translation. Given it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. You see what's missing? All right, so now it's, it's not there. They didn't put it in because it wasn't in the original. So why did the King James Version put it in in the first place? But that's how we all understand it. I mean, if you were going to quote that verse, wouldn't you quote it the way the King James Bible said it? Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, our confession has that in there. I mean, you're thinking about that right now. Our confession has that in there. Mm-hmm. It's all right, we don't have to change our confession. <laughs> Glory to God. Why is this in here like this? I want to read this for you out of the Williams translation. If you have access to it and you want to when you're home sometime, go after the Weiss translation. You will enjoy that. A little different take on it. But I'm going to read to you out of this one. We're going to go back to verse 37. Just take up, just take up 38, 38 where we are. Practice forgiving others and you will be forgiven. Practice giving to others 
and they will give to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. People will pour into your lap. For the measure you use with others, they in turn will use with you. Now, I've sung the praises of William's translation. How many times have I sung the praises of William's translation? That William's really gets into the nub of some things and pulls some stuff out of the original translation. So why, if the original does not have from men, does he not only put it in at once, but about three other times? Why does he pull this in? And it's quite simple. For the main reason that it was in there for the first, first place. It is not in verse 38, but... Let's read this. Go back to verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. This is the context. Always got to go back to the context. Don't just pull a verse out. Look at the context of the whole thing. So there's what it is. And just as you want men to do to you. Who? Men. Men are on earth. Just as you want to receive on earth, give to them. Same way that you give to them on earth is what it's talking about, right? Not in heaven. On earth. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Is he talking about men? People. Yes. What? But if you love those who love you, in other words, if someone comes and loves you, what's the big deal that you love them back? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Now think of family. How many of you have family? More than two people in your family, right? You can think. If you have more than two people in your family, and a lot of times even if you have two, there's strife. There's strife. Now, generally, you have other mem- members of the family. I don't like so- cousin so-and-so, aunt so-and-so. They're, they did me wrong. They got all these different things that are going back and forth, right? But if you have a relative, oh, no, they've done, they've done nice things. They've done right by me. That's, it's been good that way. And we, we have a good relationship there. In family, what causes a good relationship is what you have done. Isn't that right? What causes a bad relationship is what you have done. And they hold that against you. Well, that's the level of sinners. In the level of sinners, if someone does good to them, they do good back. If somebody does bad to them, they do bad back. That's how it goes with sinners. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Hmm. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Is not God kind? And, and isn't he kind to all the people? Even if they're unthankful? Isn't he still kind to them? Isn't he still operating a certain way? Even if they're evil? Even if they're evil and they come to him and say, Father, I repent. Forgive me. Doesn't he forgive them? Certainly he does. So he's saying this. This is the principle he's teaching. Do good. Love. Sow. Give. All these things to those even if they don't give anything back because your motivation for this is not that they give you anything back. So all that the enemy has to do is get you to focus on I am going to sow. I am going to give. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to Uh, extend mercy as long as I receive it back. I'll start the process as long as I receive it back. Sinners don't start the process. Sinners, if they receive, will give. So you step it up. I'll give, but I still expect to receive. Now he's upping it from there. Give, don't expect to receive. Is that not what Jesus just taught? 
give, don't expect to receive. But he goes on and he says, But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Hoping for nothing. And boy, I hope, can you imagine this? You make a loan to somebody, $10,000. You loan it out. I hope they don't pay me back. <sighs> can you imagine doing that? Isn't that what it says? Hoping for nothing in return. If you go out and you extend mercy to somebody, I hope, oh, I hope they don't extend mercy back to me. <laughs> can you imagine having that attitude? Isn't that totally foreign from everything that we do? But that's what Jesus says. Hoping for nothing in return. And what happens? What's he say? And your reward will be great. How can your reward be great when you got nothing back? How is it possible that you now have a great reward? You got nothing. You gave away money. What'd you get back? Nothing. You gave away mercy. What'd you get back? Nothing. You gave away forgiveness. What did you get back? Nothing. And what's he say? (laughs) In heaven. There it is. Because Jesus taught us, whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What would you rather have paying you back? A person who all they have is a couple of thousand dollars to their account or someone like God? Who would you rather have paying you back? Someone who can only pay you back with money that is only good here on earth or someone who has a currency that works in heaven? Who would you rather have paying you back? Someone whose great feats are making a giant lake when God's great feats, without even thinking, are making oceans. You serve a God who when He sends abundance, (laughs) and He can send abundance, who would you rather have paying you back? Man or God? What He's telling you here, folks, is if you have sown mercy, forgiveness, love, money, whatever it is, if you have sown it into the lives of someone else and they don't pay you back, He says, don't worry about it. I got it covered. (laughs) So it ought to get us excited because every time that somebody does not pay us back, what are we saying? Well, God, that's on yours. That's your tab to pick up. (laughs) Glory to God. He picked that one up. Oh, and if people ever come to you again and say, oh, I forgot I owed you that money. Oh, oh, why did you have to do that? You see, it's a whole different way of thinking about things. Because what you have loosed on earth has been loosed in heaven. We wanted it loosed on earth. That's restrictive. Get it loosed in heaven. Get your mindset to think, if I extend mercy, I don't care if no one around this entire place extends mercy back to me. God's extending mercy to me. God's extending mercy to me. We're not finished with this yet. We need to go on. Best verses are still ahead. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Just as He is merciful, that's how you ought to be. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, is this judge not and you shall not be judged by whom? Condemn not and you shall not be condemned by whom? Forgive and you will be forgiven by whom? He doesn't say, does he? Well, look at the next verse. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use it will be measured back. Now, can you see why they put from men in there? It's because of the context. But he starts out 
talking about what men will return to you, but he begins to open it up to where he doesn't say. Look at that verse again. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. He doesn't say from whom. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. What you can know is this. If you judge not, condemn not, forgive from heaven, all those things will be done same back to you. And whether it comes from men or not, it makes no difference. Because if men repay, you have one reward. But if they don't, God will repay and your reward is even greater. And what happens is if you forgive and people don't forgive you back, who are you emulating? God the Father. He just said it. Go back to verse 36. Therefore, be merciful. How? This is your Father also. That's our, that's our goal. Just as He is. So I'm mimicking Him, not people. And God is merciful even to people who never showed Him mercy. God is loving to people who never were loving to Him. God extends forgiveness to people who would never have done the same. That's the one that you're imitating. And if you get to a place where you imitate God instead of imitating people, your reward becomes elevated. And the things that are going on in your life change drastically for the better. Whatsoever things you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What do you think carries more authority? What God says or what man does? Now, there's two parts to this. I think I've had this in your outline. What comes from God is not inhibited by men. What comes from God is not inhibited by men. What we mean by that is this. If God extends forgiveness, can man stop it? If God extends mercy, can man stop it? If God extends blessings, can men stop it? No, they cannot. So what is loosed in heaven, man can't stop it. It's coming your way. If it doesn't make it to you through men in this life, it's going to make it to you in the next. And you will be very rich, according to the Word of God, in heaven. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't help me now. (laughs) What comes from men is inhibited by their yieldedness. What comes from men is inhibited by their yieldedness. If a person is not yielded to what God says to do, do they do it? If God, if I'm out there and I'm, I'm let's say, put it this way. Les is out here. Les is given. Les and Marguerite, they're out there and they're given, 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 given. Just find everybody. God says, give to this one. They give over here and they give over here. And he says, give to this one over here. They give to this one over here. And he says, give to this one over here. And they go over here and they give to this one over here. And they're just given and given and given and given. And then God moves upon me and he says, give to Les and Marguerite. And I say, no. No. Now, the reason that God's saying that to me is because of their actions, right? Because of what they've done. But I say, no. I'm not going to do it. And what happens on God's end? What does God do? Oh, I didn't count on that. I, I didn't see that one coming. Man, I got blindsided by that one. Steve said no. I asked him to step it up and to give. And Steve said no. I don't know what I'm going to do. Man. I could get some ideas. Gabriel. Michael, come here. I need to need to chat. Steve said, no, what am I going to do? I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm supposed to come over and bless Les and Marguerite because they've been obedient. But Steve said, no. Man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You th- can you see God doing that? No. No. If I said no, what's God going to do? We're going to find somebody else. Yeah. And what if the second person says no? You're going to find somebody else. And he goes over and he finds a third person. And the third person says no. 
What's God going to do? He's going to go find somebody else. If God needs to get it to you here in this life, He will keep searching until He finds someone to step up and to do what He wanted to do. He's going to keep on looking. What does God do if He wants the gospel to go in a certain area and the person He called doesn't want to go? He calls somebody else. What if they don't want to go? Call somebody else. He called Saul as king. And Saul decided, I don't want to be the kind of king God wants. So what did God do? He called somebody else. Called David. (laughs) God wants to use you. If you don't want to be used, God will find somebody else. But that also means that somebody else got your blessing. I remember, I think I related this story to you, but, but Keith was, Keith Moore was writing the story. And God told him, he says, I want you to go and sow this into this person over here. And so he said, okay. And so uh, it was a, I mean, it was a stretch for him. And he went over and he sowed that, that thing. And I don't know what it was. For some reason, he decided to ask God. He says, God, was I the first person you asked about that? He says, no, you're about the seventh. <laughs> his, his goal was to become God's go-to guy. That if God needed something done, you know what? We can get Keith because Keith will always say yes. That was his goal, his goal in that thing. That's a good goal to have, isn't it? Be God's go-to person. One here, I can always go and get this one to work. So he'll keep looking for another until he finds somebody. But you see, what we do is we begin to look at a certain person. I've sown into this person, and I want that person to, to bring it back to me. And God, he, he taught here in Luke, hey, don't be doing that. That's not the right principle. If you only give to those that you expect to receive from, you're no different than the heathens. We want to be different from the heathens. But here's the other thing that we do. I keep sowing, and when I need it, I expect somebody to step up and help me out. And when they don't, I can get bothered. See, that's when I'm looking for the, what I've loosed in heaven to be loosed on earth. Just know that God's working for you. If the first person said no, God's going to find the second person. The second person said no, he's going to find the third person. The third person said no, he's going to find the fourth person. And he's going to keep finding and looking for people until he finds one that's obedient and does what is necessary. And God will come through for you. Now here's, a, here's one more principle we want to take a look at in this. Still want to take care of this one yet. We'll probably take this one on next week. Have you ever seen that certain people constantly have certain things in their life. I'll give you examples here. Have you, do you know some people, no matter where they go, always have friends? Do you know some people, no matter what job they get involved with, always soar to the top? Do you know people that no matter what job they have, always get the pay increases? Do you know people, no matter what job they have, Stay right where they are. Never advance. Never move forward. Do you know people who never seem to have joy in their life? Never seem to have good things happen in their life. Do you know people like that? That it seems like the same things, no matter where they go, the same things keep happening. Next week we're going to show you how this principle of binding and loosing affects that. We're not just going to show it to you from the Word. I'm going to show you somebody in the Word who did this, and no matter where they went, no matter where they went, the blessings of God came in their life in the exact same way every time. And there's a reason for it. We want to unlock that reason and get that principle working in our life. You see, here's the thing, folks. We haven't understood binding and loosing, but it's still working in our life. It's still at work. It's a principle whether we understand it or not. Gravity is a principle, folks. It's a, it's a law. It works whether you understand it or not. It's working. This principle works in your life, whether you understand it or not. It's better to understand it and get it working for you. If you have some things in your life, this whole series is about making a permanent change, making a change in your life that stays that way. There are things that we're doing that cause bad things or good things to go on in our life. 
because I have constantly by my words and by my actions either bound up things that I want loosed or loosed things that I want bound up. And no matter how much I pray for God to remove those things out of my life, I'm still doing the things that are bringing it in. So we'll take a look at some of that next week. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Well, Father, I thank you that your word is true. And just as David, in his life, he had people who let him down. People that he put his life on the line for who would not do the same for him. People who, though he showed mercy, would not show mercy back to him. Constantly, it seems, that though David sowed good things, people kept bringing in bad. But he stayed with it. And it seems, no matter what people try to do, you found ways to bless him. You put people around him who became great men who helped him establish his kingdom that you put into his hands. Helped him accomplish the purpose that you called him to. Father, you changed people's lives greatly through David because David kept following your principles. And even though people let him down, he didn't sidetrack, he didn't get off, he didn't change what he was doing. I thank you for it, Father, that we can learn from men like David. You applied your word and stuck with it. We thank you for their example. And we can learn from in our life. And as we go out this week, I thank you that you will show us this principle in operation in our life. That you will show us when we are binding those things that ought to be bound or loosing those things that ought to be bound. That you will show us, Father, what it is that we're doing with our conversations, with our words, with our thoughts, our expectations. You will show us how it is that we can change our lives and change them for the better and make a permanent change on what has been going on in our life. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't see any praise report cards up here. Oh, we have. We have some. All right. If you didn't get one in, hand it over to an usher. They're going to get these over here to you. We'd like to hear what God is doing in your life. Let me read these off. Ara said, I thank God for adding a new year to my life. The past year has been so good. God has been so faithful. I praise God for the bright promises that he has for me this year. Amen. That is a good thing. And Toe, thanking God for this great and special day, the day that the Lord gave me a wonderful big sister who has taught me most of what I know, who has been someone I have always been able to look up to. I love you, Ara. And I am truly blessed to have you as my sister. That's a good thing. I thank God for this new year of your life. And thank God for the great blessings he has for you. Amen. In case you're not on Facebook, and then get the notification, it is Ara's birthday today. If you're you're on Facebook, you will not get a notification that it is my birthday because I don't put it on. But I am grateful for those people who do do that. It is uh, our Rob's birthday. And she, we got like two more weeks with you being here. So when we have our church picnic in two weeks, it's kind of going to be our send-off for her to, off to school. So make sure that you're here, here for that. We do have the church picnic coming up in two weeks, and you're all invited over to our house. There'll be some splashing around in the pool. There'll be a water baptism. If people want to get baptized with water, we're going to have that going on as well. All you need to do is bring some salads, desserts, stuff like that, uh, side dishes. We're going to have the beverages and all the, the meats and stuff like that there. And we're just going to be cooking stuff out on the grill and just having some fellowship, sitting down, chatting, watching the people swim in the pool. Or if you want to be one of those people who's swimming in the pool, have at it. Go at it. We'll, we'll have uh, some other activities going on. Stay for as long as you want. We figure at least until uh, 7 o'clock we'll have things going, going on there. But uh, if you've got to leave earlier than that, feel free to leave at any time.
Uh, two weeks it is. We'll give you directions how to get there. We'll give you GPS coordinates, whatever it is that you want. We'll have, uh, have you follow people, whatever it is that you want to do to get you there. But that's going to be in two weeks. Do uh, keep that on your calendars. Next week we have the end times class. We're going to be finishing up with the trumpets. So that'll be uh, happening for next Sunday. And Wednesday night, we're still on John the Baptist. We're going to be looking at uh, John, John's ministry, the beginning part of his ministry. We have been looking at his, his father first. His, uh, last time we looked at his mom and some of the words that came around while he was uh, uh, still in the womb and some of the things that occurred at his birth. So now we're going to be moving on to the rest of that. That's going to be on Wednesday night. Bless some folks before you get out of here. So glad to have you come on by. And we will see some of you on Wednesday night.